We are in the midst of our Genesis series, and we've been having a fantastic time pushing through the text. And this last week, um, we heard Kevin talk about the birth of Jacob and Esau, these twin brothers who are wrestling in the womb of Rebekah, of Rivka. And Yaakov and Esau are trying to figure out who's going to get out, and there's some struggle. And Kevin talked about how perhaps one picture that we can receive from the story is that there is always amongst any one of us uh, a push and an animalistic tendency to get out. Esau is very much described like an animal, you know, hairy and odd. And then Jacob, smooth-skinned and somehow a little bit more evolved, but Esau's the one that pushes and comes out first. And, and Jacob grabs hold of the heel and, and comes out second. So this week, we're going to be diving into the next extension of their relationship in Genesis 27. So we're going, the title of our talk today is The Power of Blessing. Sound good? Great. Let's pray. We'll get started. Heavenly Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to come together and to study your word. Lord, we pray right now that the power of your Holy Spirit would be in this place, that we would be awakened and aware of your presence, God, here in this place, and that we would would begin to worship you through our study of the text. Um, Lord, we ask that all the words that you've given me would be from you and that those that aren't close our ears to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so go back with me for just a second to Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to remember the stew. When we talk about this relationship between Jacob and Esau, we're talking about a relationship between two twin brothers where one is so hungry and in the moment that he says he's dying, which we all know we may have been hungry before. We might have said, you know, I am dying of hunger. But the truth is that's probably never been true of any one of us in this room. And it's also true of Esau, right? He's not truly dying, but he's so hungry that he is willing to completely sell his birthright, which is the extension of his firstbornness, the eldest son, even though it's by minutes um, or seconds even, he's willing to sell that for a cup of red stuff. And if you read in the Hebrew, he gets to that point, he goes, he doesn't even say, he can't even say, give me the stew. He says, give me that red stuff. Like I need to shove it in my mouth right now. So remember the stew, that when we're dealing with this character story between Esau and Jacob, we're dealing with a guy who decides to sell that which is most precious to him that can only be gained by his birth, and he's selling it for a single meal. It's not lifetime stew. It's single meal stew. It's not like, well, I have this now coupon that's good for free yogurts for the rest of my life. It's not that. It's single meal stew. And Jacob has it within him to be like, you're such an idiot that you will sell your birthright to me for stew? Okay. And he he kind of somehow knows that his brother's going to go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, thanks. And you kind of have that feeling when you read this story that that Esau's not the sharpest tool in the shed and that Jacob is aware of this and taking advantage of it, right? The difference between Esau and Jacob and myself and my sister, there's a lot of them, neither my sister nor I are hairy. Um, But in, in all of that, when we were growing up, I'm 21 months older, and I would try to convince her that the raggedy old Barbie was the better Barbie, right? And that the brand new out-of-the-box Barbie we had just gotten was the one that she didn't want to play with at all. And, and because I'm 20 months older, I could convince her of that somehow with my rhetorical skills. They were skilled at age five or six, whenever this was happening. And 
She could not argue herself out of that box, but she knew it was wrong. And she knew that she wanted the good Barbie. So she just would haul off and hit me, which worked because she was always able to haul off and hit me. And, and I couldn't do it. I was the older one. So I was more mature. Not really. Um, she was always eight. She was just tough. When I was in second grade and she was in kindergarten, I could shout her name when a boy was bothering me and she would leap over the kindergartner low fence, chain link fence, shouting cowabunga. This was before Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And she would shout cowabunga. And I'd be like, yes. And she could come and take out the guys that were bothering me. This was the difference between us in 21 months. I was like the wimp and stayed more in the tents and she could really take on all of life. Now she's amazing and incredible and I relied heavily on her gift set. But you know, when you're sitting there in these different sibling environments, maybe you've all had that story where you can sort of think about how one sibling could potentially trick another sibling to do what it is that they want. Anybody here have a sibling? Like the most loved, beloved, amazing relationship and also the most difficult, right? Um, yeah, we, we always had ways of figuring each other out. We knew each other better than anybody else. And when we would argue, I was always so interested in the argument that I would tell her all of the stuff that I wanted her to know and then she'd haul off and hit me. And so we'd get sent to our separate rooms, at which point she would sneak into my room, crack open the door and then argue with me. And I was so interested in what she had to say that I never had it in me to shout, mom, she's in my room, which would have totally gotten her busted. So she'd give me an argument. I go, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And then I would think about my response, right? Like sarcastic comment loading. So I would think about it and think about it. And then I'd sneak back into her room. And as soon as she, I'd crack open the door, she'd go, mom, Danielle's in my room. And I'd get busted. So this is, we always, she knew me better than anybody else. And, and I knew her better than anyone else. And this is this kind of sibling relationship So even more so with Jacob and Esau, they're twins. They grew up together from the very moment of conception. They wrestled with one another in the womb. And now we're going to enter into a bit of their story. So let's read Genesis chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. Now older by a few seconds, right? Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. By the way, that's true. But we're estimating at this time that Isaac's probably about 130 years old, 140, and he's going to live to 180. So he's going to be around for a lot longer in this present state, at least 40 years plus. I'm now an old man. I don't know the day of my death. That's true. And now then... Get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebecca was listening to as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And when Isaac left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock, bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. And then And take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Let's just stop there for a second. Notice that Isaac too, just like Esau, can be persuaded by a meal. Right? 
Esau's like, give me some of that red stuff. And here's Isaac going, give me something tasty to eat, that kind of favorite thing that I like. Notice, too, that Rebecca stuck a line in here. She said, I heard your father say, bring me some game to pre- and prepare some tasty food to eat so, that you may give, so I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Jacob, uh, uh, Isaac doesn't say that. Rebecca adds it in. Sort of to say to Jacob, this is really important. You really need to do this. And I'm persuading you by even saying this is going to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, remember that Rebecca, when she, and this is what Kevin talked about last week, when she had these two babies in her womb, she asked of the Lord, what's going on with me? And she was given a prophecy that the younger would serve the older. So she's falling right in line with what she's been told by the Lord. But it still seems a little tricky, doesn't it? How's the uh, marriage working, right? Husband says this to one son and wife's like, let's totally deceive your father. Let's do that. And by the way, we'll screw over your brother at the same time. So you thought your family was dysfunctional, but you know, here we go. Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him. You are tricking him. And would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Notice that Jacob's concern here isn't, hey, this is kind of immoral. Maybe we should seek the Lord. Maybe we should go to dad and remind him that, the, that God originally said that I would serve, that I need to get the blessing. Maybe we should, no, no, no. Instead, it's like, we might get caught. That'd be terrible. His mother says to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. And then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. It's like she knows Isaac's not going to believe it. She's working pretty hard already. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. And then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. You guys feel like this is kind of what's happening here? Like a little bit of a teen wolf action, right? Like somehow, how could Esau be this hairy? And, and I love this picture down below on, on the right because it feels that ridiculous to me. But apparently Esau is so hairy that if she takes goat skin that still has a hair on it, which, by the way, gross, like you just, I mean, that's not like leathered out, right, that you just took that off. And you're going to put it right on Jacob's hands. And then somehow Isaac will touch that and be like, that's my son. He totally smells and feels like a goat. This is a weird thing. Okay, so she hands the ta- her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she makes. And he goes to the father and says, my father, Avi. Yes, my son, who is it? It's interesting. Yes, my son, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing." Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Ooh, is that taking the name of the Lord in vain? I'm not sure. It's kind of a, that's an issue. And then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Isaac seems to know something's up, right? Would you constantly be asking these questions if the The disguise was so good. 
Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. Direct question. I am, he replied. In Hebrew, it's one word. He just says, ani. Like, it's like maybe he's doing it in the deep Esau voice and he just can't. He's not going to say much more than the one word. He kind of, maybe Jacob realizes that if he goes too far with this, it's out of control. And so he's, ani. And then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. And so he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said. So even at that last moment, there's this moment where Isaac seems to not truly know whether or not it's Esau until he can also smell. You see, because he has no sight, he's relying on smell and on taste and on touch to try to tell him what's happening in front of him. But his ears are telling him the truth. But he's not listening to that sense. It's the voice of Jacob. But it smells, and it feels, and it's the food of Esau. And when he comes close with a kiss, have you ever known anybody else to betray with a kiss? Yeah. So he went to him and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac had finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from hunting. I mean, you can feel the tension in the story, can't you? The narrator saying like, he barely got away with this because here comes Esau in from the hunt. So just right after scarcely left his father's presence, he too, verse 31, prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And he said, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father, Isaac, asked him, who are you? Notice the absence of the word, my son. It can't be that my son has deceived me. So who's this stranger now walking in pretending to be Esau? Who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Deceiver or supplanter, Yaakov. This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taking my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? By the way, is that true? Is Esau's version of the events true? That Jacob took the birthright? No, Esau sold it for red stuff. 
Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac answered Esau, I've made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives, his servants, and I've sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near and then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her younger son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son, her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. And when your brother's no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Let's end our reading there. Is this story disturbing? I hope it's disturbing. I find it disturbing. I would be really upset if I raised two sons who were taught to deceive one another, taught to act in this way. I, I would be upset if at the beginning, if you go back to Genesis 25, when they're starting to talk about this relationship, it says, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isn't that, we're not supposed to really say that as parents, right? You're not supposed to say, I love this kid, but not so much this one. Or I have a favorite. I love you both, but you're my favorite, right? I mean, it's all supposed to be even and equal. And there's all this kind of mess in it. But Isaac is going to bless both sons. And I want to look at this blessing in Hebrew. When Isaac starts to say this blessing, he says three times this word when he says, I'm going to bless you. The word in Hebrew is, is soul. He says, I want to bless you from my soul. I want to, I want to give you the innermost blessing, my most solemn blessing, the, the most precious thing I have. My life breath is going to bless you, my deep soul. So Isaac is taking this blessing thing very, very seriously. And here's how that blessing is set up. On the left, we have here the blessing that's given Jacob. And on the right, we have here the blessing that is given Esau. And this is how it reads in the NRSV. And it's very similar to what we just read in the NIV, where it says, may God give you of the dew of the heaven. So he gets this beautiful dew of the heaven thing, Jacob does. But for Esau, it says, away from the fatness of the earth shall your home be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. But do you see in this note right here that the NRSV gives us, it actually says a different word choice can be the word of. And I'm telling you exactly the same words in Hebrew sit behind this blessing and this blessing. It can either be read, may God give you of the dew of the heaven and of the fatness of the earth. And the exact same words are here. It doesn't say away from. It says, look, I'm giving you of the fatness of the earth shall your home be and of the dew of heaven on high. Or you could read it from or away from, or that would be, I would argue you would need to do here too. So is it possible that maybe our English isn't helping us here? I'm going to say yes. Given the fact that we can choose how we want to read Esau's blessing, hasn't it always sounded to you as it sounded to me like that's not really much of a blessing 
poor guy, right? It's like, well, you know, I guess I can only give you a curse. It sounds like the whole thing's a curse. But it's the exact same words in Hebrew. And, and let's just look really here. There's another translation by Robert Alter. And he says to read it this way. May God grant you from the dew of the heavens and the fat of the earth an abundance of grain and drink for Jacob. And then for Esau, look, from the fat of the earth will be your dwelling and from the dew of the heavens above. Because it's completely possible for both sons to live in the land. They're not going to live in the same sections. Now, what we're talking about when we talk about dew of heaven is actually quite powerful. And in rabbinic literature, even unto the day of Jesus and past, there were prayers not just for rain, but also for dew. We want both. Israel is a country that essentially has two seasons, dry and wet. And the wet season is short. It will maybe run with a little bit of light rains, maybe in October, November, in certain parts of the country, hopefully. And then it'll be wet, hopefully, prayerfully, if God sends rain, it'll be wet until about February or March. Rarely much more than that. So how does the land that gets very little rainfall and then only rainfall in those particular months, how does the land survive? It survives with what is called dew from the heavens. And as a result of these west and northwest winds that come in off the Mediterranean Sea and go over this entrance into the land of Israel and up onto this central ridge route, there's this wonderful rain shadow that falls and dew lands in between these little bits of rock and causes enough to grow. So when we talk about dew from heaven, when, when Isaac's giving that blessing, that is a good blessing. You really, not just rain, but the dew. We also want that bit of moisture that makes life work. And where Esau is and where his land allotment will be, he gets that. I'm just telling you what the land is. He gets dew and he gets some of the rain. And the area that he's given in Edom is quite lovely. It's not as lovely as Israel, but it's, it works. And when Israel will, after being exiled and being in the desert, come through that land, God's going to tell them in the book of Deuteronomy at the beginning, don't forget that when you go through that land, I've told you not to touch it because that belongs to Esau and his descendants. So Esau does get blessed. Look what he gets. He gets fat of the earth for his dwelling. He gets the dew from heavens above. Now, he isn't going to be able to have his brother serve him. But this has been that prophecy from the very beginning. Instead, of course, for Jacob, we have this beautiful blessing. says, may people serve you and nations bow before you. Be overlord to your brothers and may your mother's sons bow before you. But this is what Esau gets. He gets, by your sword shall you live and your brother shall you serve. You sold your birthright, Esau. You aren't firstborn anymore. And the prophecy is now being fulfilled that the older will serve the younger. But as Jacob gets that echo of Genesis chapter 12, the promise that God has given to Abraham, those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. Esau gets, and when you rebel, you shall break off his yoke from your neck. You're not always going to have to serve him. There will be a time when you live with sovereignty. 
is it kind of radically shift everything to realize that Isaac hasn't cursed Esau? Because it did for me. I kept telling Kevin, come here, come here. Read the Hebrew with me. Is it just me or isn't this the same word? And it's saying it in my text notes. So why have we decided to read it as a curse from right away in the beginning? Well, I'm just, you can choose which way you want to read it. But either way is viable. Either way. Isn't that true for a lot of things in our own life? I have a gift of stubbornness. It's, just, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's the one that's footnoted in the bottom of your... No. And I've joked for years that I have that spiritual gift of stubbornness. And I'm telling you right now that that can be a blessing and a curse. And maybe what we're seeing with this, this variant and different reading, you can read it this way or this way in the Hebrew, maybe what we're seeing is that part of what Esau is getting is a blessing where it's up to him to maximize it in his life. It can either be that this is going to be something you live away from or something you live into. Since you can read it both ways. Maybe. So what do we learn from all of this? Are you ready to learn a few things? God's upside-down kingdom starts from the beginning. The Bible regularly celebrates the clever one who inherits by character rather than birth order. Everybody else is passing blessings down from father to firstborn son, from father to firstborn son, to firstborn son, to firstborn son. But God's story regularly flips that almost all the time. Instead, God seems to be constantly looking at the heart. And instead of saying, I'm always going to go with the firstborn who's gotten all of this wonderful blessing, I'm sometimes most often going to be found with the poor and the vulnerable and the powerless. And so God casts his lot with Jacob and not with Esau. And Jacob becomes Israel because God is the central character of this story. The reason why God's kingdom is upside down is because if we were looking at who's going to be the father of Israel, who's Jacob's name is going to get changed into Israel, and he's got all this deceitful stuff, all this dysfunctional family stuff. Have you guys dysfunctional family? Yeah, everybody should be raising their hand because we all got them. All of that, that God has said, in spite of that, in spite of your behavior, I'm going to be the central character of the story, and I'm going to call you out, and I'm going to make you into Israel because God's kingdom is upside down. The other thing we learn from the story is that we do not at all need to earn God's blessing. Because do we know anybody less worthy of a blessing than Tricky Jacob? This is really deceitful behavior, and Jacob gets a phenomenal blessing. How, about, how far would Jacob have gotten if he had to earn God's love and blessing? Have you ever thought that you needed to earn God's love? I have much of my life. I kept thinking, well, I know he loves me, period, but I think he loves me more when I'm doing all of this other stuff right. Do we know anyone less worthy of a blessing than animalistic, simplistic, grunting Esau? Red stuff, no. But Esau also gets a blessing. And if ever you thought at any point in your life that you had to do the right thing or do the exact thing God said or get everything right or whatever, or that maybe you didn't get that job because last week you took the name of the Lord in vain or you didn't. And, and we have this sort of like penalistic re- reality that we're living in with God that's just not who God is at all. Instead, what this story tells us is that, you know what? You can get blessed in spite of yourself. Because I can't think of anybody less worthy for that blessing than deceitful, conniving, tricky Jacob. 
or less worthy of that wonderful blessing than animalistic grunting Esau. Neither one seems stellar to me. Neither one would I pick in a job lineup, right? Would either one of you, those of you who do HR, hiring and firing, would either one of you, I like the guy that grunts, please. Thank you very much. He's going to be the one to get this job. Never. Or would you ever look and go, oh, the one that's lying. Yeah. The, the one who actually says, God helped me do this. The one who's taking the name, like leaning on God in the lie. Let's have him run our organization. You would never pick either of these people, but God still blesses them. We don't need to earn God's blessing. Jacob and Esau both show us that worthiness, perfection, good works, behavior, character are not needed to receive a blessing. Does that flip it all immediately for you? It does for me. See, I grew up really having this fantastic relationship with my parents. They told me, Danielle, we love you. We don't always like you, but we really love you. You know, that's, we love you. We're your parents. But I always felt like they loved me more when I told them I would go to law school instead of becoming a pastor. You can see who won the argument. Here I am. I felt like they loved me more if I got, you know, five A's instead of four There was something that felt like I would get more of God's blessing if I did everything right. And all that stuff that my parents hadn't done it to me, but I just, you know, we're we're sinful and we're dysfunctional and we, we just get messed up and confused. All that stuff I'd laid on my parents, I laid on my relationship with God. It's like, God, you'll bless me if... And if something went wrong, maybe it's because I did something wrong. And everything seemed to be like this monetary exchange. And I know, I know, I grew up in a Lutheran church. I was all about the grace all the time. Like even if you, you know, accidentally killed somebody, it's all right. There's plenty of grace for you. You know, there was always grace, always grace. And still, I didn't believe it. I always thought I had to earn the blessing. But this story teaches us that there's absolutely nothing that you're doing that gets you that blessing. Worried that you're just too bad to be blessed? Like Jacob, we can manipulate, survive, deceive, plan, orchestrate, and we can still get a blessing. Or if you're like Esau, we can despise our birthright, give in to our lowest, most base of desires. We can lack any forethought or wisdom, and we can cry out, bless me too. At your absolute worst, at your darkest moment, at your most sinful, terrible spot, you can still cry out, bless me too. Bless me too. Isn't that amazing? This God of grace and mercy who's persistent in telling his story, who's persistent in being on display and saying, I will accomplish what I want to accomplish in spite of you. Isn't that wonderful? God's capacity to bless and to love is so much greater than our own diminished capacity to do the same. The miracles that he blesses others through us, despite us, and, the trans- and then transforms us through that process. This is the miracle. This is the incredible story that God's capacity to bless and to love is so much greater than our own. And when we think about blessing and we think about all of that kind of language of how to do that, we're only thinking about it in terms of our own capacity. So we're thinking, man, if somebody did that to me, I would not bless that person. I would be like, get out of here. Or the blessing might stay, you know, oh, God bless that jerk. 
right? Like it might just like, you know, we, we might get out part of it, but we'd finish it with what we really thought about the person on the other end. Now, there are consequences to the behavior. I'm not suggesting that we can just do anything. Jacob liked being intense, it said at the beginning. He liked being at home. But now he's on the run, and he's wandering, and he's in exile. And he's living with broken relationships between his twin brother, his father who he's deceived, and eventually his uncle. He reaps what he sows. Jacob deceived with a garment. Deceived a blind man. This isn't good. He deceived a blind man with a garment. And guess what is going to happen to Jacob? He's going to be deceived in the dark. Just the same way he deceived his father, he'll be deceived. And his sons too will deceive him with a garment. Joseph's cloak. He's going to be deceived when he thinks he's marrying Rachel and instead behold Leah. And he's in the dark. He finds out the next morning when he's blinded. And then he's going to be deceived by this cloak. He reaps what he sows. He doesn't get away with it. But he still gets the blessing. And Esau, he doesn't get away with it either. Because he is not, he sells his birthright. Now, he remains at home. He amasses great wealth. Read Genesis 33. He shows up with 400 men to meet Jacob. He's got tons of stuff and you can continue to read on his inheritance is great but he sells his birthright and he loses the blessing of being the firstborn and he doesn't get to become israel so there's consequences for the behavior but it doesn't mean he's not blessed the only thing needed to receive a blessing is the love of the father if you have a heavenly father who loves you and you all do that's all you need Because the blessing is dependent upon God's love for you, not dependent upon our behavior. That's not what the blessing is dependent upon. Isn't that good news? I feel like that's amazing news. Okay, I'm glad you think so. Now, here's the other great thing. Thanks for saying. Yeah, I I heard a little. Yeah, yeah. We also can participate in the blessing. To bless another is to participate in God's love. God's going to bless people. Be part of that. To bless another is to carry and bear the witness to God's love. We're going to bear witness to the love of God. So bless somebody. We talk all the time about, I, well, I say this phrasing all the time. I just want to bless the socks off of somebody. Or I'll say bless the snot out of him. I've got two things. They're both, it's alliteration. I don't know how quite how it goes. But those two things rumble around in my head all the time. Because when I meet somebody, I love and delight in just trying to figure out a way to bless them. Because, it's not because I'm great. I want to participate in the thing that God is already doing. To bless another person is to be set free from the curses we would rather utter. So the next time you get cut off in traffic and say, oh, God bless you. Just clench your teeth again, right? You really mean something different. Even when we mean something different, God is there participating in that blessing. Madeline Engel says this, Cursing is a boomerang. If I will evil towards someone else, that evil becomes visible in me. Because we can also curse. You and I have that power just like Isaac did. 
We have the power to speak blessings and to speak curses. And God says very clearly that to Jacob and Jacob's blessing, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, echoing the blessing he's given to Abraham. All of that is true. You guys, we have the opportunity to participate in blessing and let that boomerang back to us instead of participate in cursing and have that boomerang back to us. Have you ever watched somebody in that deep, dark place where their deep hurt and hatred is on display? Have you ever seen somebody in that moment? Kevin and I had this weird time when we were chatting with somebody and they were just telling us about all the love and all this great stuff. And then they said, except for that person. And then they just twisted almost in front of us and just continued to have like vitriolic. And it was as though they became that hatred and that evil in that moment. And we started to get sick to our stomachs because the hatred was so present. And it just became almost, we we had to get out of there. We couldn't stay there anymore. And this person had talked about all this love right before, and then it switched and flipped. And they started to become and personify the hatred that they were pushing out onto the other. We have the opportunity to be part and participate in God's love and God's blessing, or we can be part of that curse boomeranging back to us. Can we bless others when we don't feel like it? Yes, Isaac teaches us so. Isaac teaches us that even if our heart isn't in it, even if life has deceived us, it's still possible to bless others and God can still hear. We must learn to bless and not to curse even if we don't feel like it. Sometimes even especially if we don't feel like it. That's when you read those stories in the news that make you so deeply angry about human trafficking, about injustices in our court system, about racial discrimination against against minorities in our community about unfair practices and you just sit there and you're so angry and all we want to do is curse and in that moment the only thing that brings light is for us to sit and bless to find it in us to say god bless them and fix it because the truth is to bring that blessing to them is to bring change, is to see them deeply changed by those words of life we can give instead of piling more hatred and more anger into the world. Because God's blessings bring about change. Right after Jacob has deceived his father and his brother and he's fleeing away on the run, Jacob dreams and sees the ladder with the angels of God ascending and descending off the face of the earth. And he encounters the Lord who reaffirms the blessing that Isaac has just given. And Jacob's journey now begins as the chosen patriarch who will become Israel. God's blessing changes Jacob and he's better for it. So who will you bless? I want to encourage you right now to think about somebody that kind of makes your teeth grind. You know, the one, not the person you're sitting next to, somebody else, no one in the room. And what we're going to do, so I'm going to take a box here and pass it back. If you don't have a pen, grab one. And I'm going to pass out a piece of paper. For each one of us, and you don't cheat. You don't have to look at other people's pieces of paper. Just grab one and look around. And I want you to write a blessing for somebody. And it can be you. If you felt far away from the Father's blessing, if you felt like God has looked upon our behaviors and said, eh, I don't know about that girl. 
then write the blessing for yourself or write the blessing for your father in heaven. Bless God if you can't bless anyone else. Bless a family member, bless a boss, bless a sister or a brother. Bless the one who stole your birthright. Bless the one who cursed you out on the freeway on the way here. Bless your boss. Bless. Bless your spouse who drove you crazy and you argued about something on your way to church. And take a few moments to just sit with the reality that God has invited us in to participate in the blessing, to participate in his love on display in the world. We'll give you a few moments to to just say a prayer and bless somebody. If you have extra time, once you've blessed that person that's making your teeth grind, bless somebody you just love. That it's the easiest person in the world for you to think about blessing and praying good things, beautiful things upon their life. Bless your child. Bless your son and daughter. Bless your spouse. Bless your friends, your family. Bless God. Bless God for what he's given you. If there's anyone here who doesn't yet know that beautiful and great love of the Father, if there's anyone here who wants to be blessed, we would be privileged to pray with you. Privileged to bless you with that relationship with God. Privileged to to pray over you. Privileged to see um, how you might bring some of that beautiful reconciliation into your life for at the end of this story, Jacob and Esau meet again and Esau runs to Jacob, wraps his arms around his neck and kisses him and they're back together again. If there's anything we can do to bless you, let us know and let me pray for you as we get ready to go. You can take those little prayers and blessings and Put them in a pocket, carry them around in your coin purse. 
offer them up to God in whatever way. And trust that the Lord hears, even when we're broken, even when we don't have it together. In fact, that would be always, right? Always when we don't have it together ever. He still moves. He still accomplishes his will because it's his story. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for this beautiful story, God, that in the midst of family dysfunctions and pain, we get to see, Lord, how you still are faithful and how you still bring about good blessings for both sons. God, we pray right now for each person in this room, for those that were thought of and mentioned in hearts and on paper, um, for those we might be separated from like these two brothers in our story, but for whom we long reconciliation, Lord. And if any of us is, are separated from you, Lord, we long for that reconciliation. And Jesus, right now, I just ask in the name and power of your Holy Spirit to meet each person here, to answer those prayers of blessings, and to restore us unto you with the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your great love and acceptance and grace and mercy to work in us and through us. Thank you for inviting us to participate in your blessing of the world. Empower us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.